Welcome to season two of Best in SaaS, where we talk through the patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 20 million and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Despite the world melting around us, we survived season one with only a few scratches and a couple of bathroom incidents from our resident Best in SaaS puppy mascot, Stuart. Wash your hands and don your favorite face mask because here comes season two. Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am thrilled, per usual, for you to listen in on this conversation. But before we get into it, if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the discussions, do me a favor and let us know by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks find the show and it helps Apple realize they should feature us on New and Noteworthy. So that would be awesome. With that, enough of my blabbing. Let's get on to the episode. All right, so today I am super thrilled to have Sydney Sloan on the line, the CMO at SalesLoft. She has had an amazing career thus far as an advisor to Marketo, was a CMO at Alfresco, uh, long leadership career at Adobe. Sydney, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Absolutely. So, I mean, I just want to dive straight in. Like, you are. Now being at SalesLoft, I'm so curious, you're kind of at the forefront of sales enablement and, and being the marketing leader there, you must just be seeing all sorts of new trends and the ways that, that marketing is shifting. Um, I'd love to jump in there and learn what, you know, what is top of mind for you in marketing right now. Uh, it's been fantastic. I do agree that when I joined a sales tech company, I'm like, wow, I'm going to become a better marketer. And, and it's, Absolutely true, because I get to see all different companies at different stages in their evolution of their sales and marketing motions. And so I would say what's on the forefront, like the most exciting thing right now is really seeing where companies, sales and marketing come together on orchestrating account-based strategies specifically. Um, and, you know, that, that just that partnership. And there's, I, I was just talking to a friend of mine, Peter Isaacson, who leads uh, marketing at Demandbase, and we're like, intent data plus uh, outbound activity in time, we were actually making it an algebra <laughs> for formation, equals pipeline. So it's like how now it's not just about message and target and everything. It's also about timing. Oh wow! The, make it making it math. That's when you know it's real. It's like all right, we can measure it. It's an equation. It, it's going to get yeah. put into the, uh, the SAS vernacular, and, and we're off to the races. Um, so, I, I mean, you and I have had conversations in the past about you know, ABM isn't new to the scene necessarily, and it's it's something that you've you've been a champion of in the past. Are there pieces of it now that are materially different than they used to be? I think there are, first of all, there's just more people out there that are aware of what it is. So the, and, and they continue to push the bar and it's gone from pilot ideas or teams to strategies across the different companies and geographies. So that's exciting to see when it spreads uh, to global efforts. Um, I think what's interesting is the data vendors, because there's kind of key elements of ABM. One is you, you have to have data in order to have the insights in order to pick your, your target accounts. Once you figured out what your AC, your ICP is, you still have to have like, okay, how do I use data to help me understand who my target accounts are? And so using like technographic data to infer quality um, uh, engagement data now that we can look at and the count level is 
marketing and sales tech reorient around account views versus lead views, which is huge. And, um, you know, come on Salesforce, you can, you can do it. They're, they're still behind. We, 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 we're, we have faith. Um, and, uh, and then the, the third part, and I think the most disruptive piece, you know, is this combination between the intent vendors and, um, how we think about outbound strategies. So that's that whole time equation. As soon as mar- marketing can figure out when, people from that account are actually interested or potentially interested, how do you match that with an outbound strategy after your target personas to try and get to the opportunity first? Because you know whoever gets to that account first is going to be able to set the vision, the impression for which others will be evaluated by. So you don't want to wait like now, you know, the data is out there. People are doing 60, 75% of research before they actually want to talk to a salesperson. So how do you get to them first? That's the game. So are you, do you fall into the camp? I know right now marketing is, is somewhat segmented into people who are like, you know, it used to be all gated and now there's so much of the buying decision that's made before anyone actually ever reaches out that, you know, let's ungate things. Where do you fall on that debate? Somewhere in the middle. Um, and especially during COVID, I think, you know, the idea of just being helpful, like give them whatever they need, give them free training, give them tips and tricks, give, give people what they can use to help transition. But there's still those core pieces of, you know, really good stuff that it's okay to ask for people to fill out a form. Um, and, and, and again, as technology evolves, we can do more IP matching to figure out who, who they are from that account. Maybe that will continue to change, but we um, we have just a couple pieces of content that we gate, um, and our call to action on most things is request a demo, and and so those are the leads that we you know we have optimized in terms of our processes uh, to to you know get to uh, an inbounder or an outbounder as, as fast as possible. Um, uh, so I'm in the middle. And, okay. And, and so like on the tactical side of that, like bring us into your brain for a moment when you were and your team were deciding, you know, where to draw that line and where to gate and, and request the demo. Um, how did you make that decision? We, uh, I think it's a really good question. So, um, we took our top performing content pieces and kept them gated like our top 10. Uh, everything else, blogs um, are are open, um, and we've continued to put more and more like webinar content and, and things online. Um, our call to action being a, a demo, um, those are keeping our teams busy enough. I guess is the right the rate right, the real reason. Um, you know, our, we call it a P one lead. It's a hot lead, and and so that's giving us enough to work on still that we don't need to add a lot more to the equation. It's helping us scale. We're, we're converting at a high rate and, and we're still investigating the other parts. I mean, I'll, I'll be totally honest. When I got to SalesLoft, we weren't using marketing automation. And I think as marketers come into new situations and as we continue to see the landscape change, we have to be open-minded. At least that's what I, <laughs> that's what the approach I was taking. I'm like, wow, we don't use marketing automation. 
(laughs) crazy, but you know, it's working. Like every lead comes and flows and goes into a a cadence and an outbounder is working or an inbound team is, is, if it wasn't a named account, I'd go to our inbound team. If it was a named account, I'd go to our our outbound team and, and they would run with it. And there were things that we did to make it automated. So we were getting the response times. If there was an interaction from a customer, they get an automated email from a person, a real person right away to show that we were following up. And then it would have the 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 task for the SDR to to make a more personalized um, connection, and uh, and so that was working, and so I was like, wow, maybe we don't need marketing automation. But as the company has grown, I mean, that was went back when we were in the the, the tens of millions, the, the teens of millions. Um, but as the company's grown, we our 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 outbound engine and inbound engines continue to get more sophisticated. Our lead volume continues to increase. Yeah, actually we do need marketing automation. We need, we need scoring. We need, you know, account the the values that we get out of looking at account level engagement, nurture streams for non-target personas. Um, So, so we are adding that, which is great because I know there's more that our team can add to the equation by just doing foundational marketing things and marketing automation. Um, and, uh, and so that gives us upside. It's amazing to hear a story where it's almost the inverse of what you're used to hearing. Like normally, really <laughs> that's, that's so wild. Um, so, so I'm assuming then you were the one to bring in some of this intelligence and enrichment stuff. This is almost tying back to what we were talking about earlier um, into sales off for the first time. Is that true? It, it is. So um, in my background, I was, I've been a fan and an advisor to Marketo. I've been a, a fan and advisor to demand base as well as follows. And I'm a, a huge fan of Sixth Sense. And, and so I, I, I was just telling my team today, I, lo- I love to geek out on MarTech um, as well as brand and strategy. I mean, I love what I do. Um, but looking at, you know, how, how as marketers, can we continue to get value out of technology to make us more efficient and, um, and bring the predictability of the marketing engine to the equation. And that's what we're going for. It's like, how many programs do we need to run on a monthly basis with, you know, X number of leads in order to generate so many meetings and appointments and opportunities and how, how is that can continue to convert um, is, you know, that, that's what I'm looking to build is that, that predictable engine, just like our sales teams are trying to build predictable pipeline. And, um, and what's different too, I think, uh, as companies continue to grow is, you know, sometimes account-based is the way to go. Sometimes you run a different methodology altogether. Maybe you're a freemium model. I mean, Dropbox, that's, I'm sure that's how, um, how you guys worked. And, and I came from an open source technology company where, you know, it was completely different. So we weren't running account-based strategies. We were looking at how do I get as my product into as many hands as possible. But then how do you know when to work an account? And one of the things that we we learned in my in my last company was wow, we were we were still going lead by lead. We weren't looking at account, we call it a smoke report, like you know, the the you know the you know the TPs and the fires and you know yep. like the smoke over there. We, that's where we should go. So we started aggregating the leads at an account view. So it wasn't truly account-based in, in that sense, but it was, still was account engagement data that we were looking at to know when enough people at the account were trying the product that made it make sense for us to uh, 
connect those dots. And, and what was cool about it was we knew the names of the people. So we could send an email to a group of people and saying, wow, I noticed you all are trying Alfresco right now together. Like, are you working on a particular project? Is there something that we can help with? And, and people were like, sometimes they didn't know other people were trying it out. So they could band together in order to make a case for buying our technology or, um, or, you know, wow, how did you know that? And so I, I, that was a game changer um, back then was, you know, again, still looking at things at an account centric level. And it, we know that as B2B marketers that we're selling to a committee. We're not selling to one person. If you only have one lead in your opportunity, um, you're likely going to lose. You know? <laughs> you're at the beginning of the journey, yeah. not the end. <laughs> right, exactly. The, the likelihood that they're the, the decision maker, the buyer, the implementer is, is probably not the case. And so you do need to make sure that you understand who the whole buying committee is and all the different roles. Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm curious, you know, we're talking about technology and, and kind of the changes, um, that have occurred over the last couple of years and some of the companies driving that. What to you, if you were jumping into a Series A or Series B company with a Series A or Series B MarTech budget, what would be your like, I'm going to fight for these because they're absolutely essential um, to make up your stack. And then what would it be, you know, what is it now for you at a, at a much later stage? Um, I'm curious how those two things differ because obviously the budgets differ quite a bit. That is a fantastic question. Well, the first advice I give like the Series A startups or the question that I get a lot is what should be my first hire? And I always go with a product marketer. Um, I, I think having somebody that in marketing understands the business strategy, can can write copy, can work with the sales teams to get those first customers, you know, where you're you're really gritty and you don't have any budget to do things is is that role. And then you start building out your demand gen function from there. Um, in the Series A's, I think you can get away with a you know a lightweight CRM and a sales engagement tool. I, honestly, I, I totally believe that, and I debate that with some of my friends all the time. Like, if you don't need a, a database of forty thousand people to you know run marketing automation to, where we're seeing the differences between specific and personalized um, outbound activity versus mass emails that are not personalized. I mean, I, I really see that shift happening in, in the world today. And so, you know, I, and I know that a lot of, um, uh, of the VCs are uh, aligning to this as well, um, is, is CRM, get your data, right. You have to have good data and, and then you can run, um, outbound activities on a sales engagement platform and start prospecting. Um, at the same time, like right next to that, you, you have to have a decent website. And I think a lot of us marketers who are digital digital first and trying to build an inbound engine know you have to have a strong, strong backbone to your website. You have to have a strong content strategy to your website so you can start getting the benefits of SEO. So those would be the two things. Like the outbound would be the tactical, how am I getting the next couple of deals while you're building out your website and your infrastructure as that core foundation of um, a content strategy that will drive inbound in the long term. And then what would be the next three like strategic additions to your stack at, after that point from a technology perspective? I think you want to keep on building the flywheel, and especially in today, you have to have a strategy for digital um, engagement. And that's going to be um, uh, your 
uh, webinar program, your podcast program, I think of those two things collectively um, are where you can, you know, really start to share knowledge and information in a variety of mediums that people want to listen to or watch that you can pull snippets from. Um, and I think too, as marketers and today, we really need to start thinking, I mean, we're competing in a digital world. And so B2B marketers need to be thinking more of a cinematic approach, like how we produce things actually matters, um, because you have to keep people engaged. So I'm I'm thinking about that a lot right now. Um, so a a webinar platform podcast, that's super easy and, and, uh, you know, a flywheel, um, and it also helps you learn and stay on top of things. And it's a great way to engage prospects, by the way, um, invite a prospect to your podcast. And then, you know, you, you've already built that connection in, in, in a cool way. Um, the other thing, I mean, at, at this point, I'm probably thinking marketing automation, um, cause just the basics of lead routing and scoring and nurture streams and, and the things that marketing can do to help. So it's, that's somewhere in the, the B to C, the A to B, you know, right, right solid in a B for sure. Um, and ad platforms, however you're doing that, uh, whatever you're using for, um, doing your, your, your ad buys and, um, if that's Google or, or, or different platforms, um, you, you gotta have, you have, have a, a, a strategy around ads. So another thing that uh, I know that you're really passionate about and, and share through your you know, presence as an LP within, um, stage two capital with Mark Roberge and the team over there is this kind of new way to think about product market fit and failure rates amongst, you know, series ABC, um, so forth. How do you see your role as the head of marketing, as a CMO in that? Like, are there things that you're trying to influence that help increase retention or, or maybe even just walk us through what that looks like in your yeah. head? So, um, I was, we just had an LP meeting a couple of weeks ago. Mark put up this slide and he's put it up before where it's like the failure rate of startups at series A is in mid seventies at series B is in mid seventies and series C in mid seventies. Like, why is that? What is it that we're missing that we're not getting better as we're progressing through these different stages? And, um, and so our investment thesis is, is based on retention. And what's interesting about that is I look back in my history, when I left Adobe back in about 2012, um, I was looking to go into SaaS and SaaS was still relatively new at that point. And what I was looking at, it was like, Gosh, you know, I really, I, I, we were evangelizing this idea of customer experience um, and and digital at Adobe at the time, and I wanted to be a practitioner of that, and I was looking to get into a customer marketing role. And the whole idea was that you now you have to work as hard to keep a customer as you do to acquire them, and we have all this data now about people using our platforms. We have daily, you know, DAUs. We, we know adoption rates. We know penetration rates. We know like, so we can see the health of a customer. And so how are we using that as a leader? I would say, um, you asked me about as a marketer, I would, I would say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to put my leader hat on first as an executive of the company. Mm -hmm. How important is retention and growth and managing churn? It's huge. You can't grow if you got a leaky bucket. And so, um, so working hard to make sure your customers are successful. Oh, by the way, because when you are and they go to another company, they'll buy you again or they'll tell their friends. So there's multiple benefits of building a healthy customer relationship and ensuring your customer success. Um, and they'll buy more 
I had this saying that smart, happy customers buy more. So what do you do? You make sure they're educated. People who charge for certification, I don't know why you do that. I mean, I know there's a cost, but if they're if their admins are certified, know how to use your product, they're going to be more successful. Like make sure they're trained, hold the customer accountable to what you know the parameters are of ensuring success. I, I, I remember at, at our days at Jive, we knew if they didn't have a community manager that their implementation would fail. Well, how do you hold your customer accountable for for making sure that they've got the right infrastructure and the right team to ensure that your product is going to be successful when you know those are the things that are core to customer success? It's like sending somebody out in a boat without a ship captain and just hoping that they're going to make it across the sea. It doesn't work. You know, you you got to have the right people in place with the right knowledge in order to ensure success. And and so I think that partnership with your customer and setting expectations is important. Um, and then, you know, it's it's training, it's enablement, it's guiding. Um, uh, one of the things that that I, I, a use case that we talk about a lot and we we implement and um, we, we did this with our friends at Looker um, was being able to automate. So if you've got Gainsight or some other uh, technology or way that you're measuring customer health, if you're seeing a customer go from green to yellow in whatever methodology, you can trigger an automation to create an automated uh, communication with your customer saying, hey, by the way, we're noticing your your utilization is going down. Is, is there anything we can do to help? Or I noticed it's going down in these areas. Here's three things that you might want to look at in terms of, you know, your current infrastructure. Like being proactive and trying to help your customers fix the problems before they bring it to you, that's customer centricity. I love how, you know, it's some sometimes it's the things that are more human and more, you know, just core to what make us tick as individuals and make us successful as individuals that, you know, if you can support those that to your point is what drives good relationships and mm-hmm. lasting relationships. Yeah. Um, so now switching gears to a more personal note, you know, you to many people, you're at the tippity top of, you know, industry or you're leading uh, growth as a CMO at a, at a rocket ship. And, you know, I'm sure to you, there's, there's still so much more room to grow yourself. So I'm curious when you sit down like at the end of last year and thought through what you wanted this year to be for you professionally and some of the mountains that you want to climb kind of in, in the near future, what are those? Wow. What a great question. Um, Cause it, it's honestly, I'm working on my personal development plan right now. In two weeks, I have a schedule to, to meet with Kyle um, to make sure that I'm continuing to figure out what that was. Like two years ago, uh, or a year ago, I would say, like I, I was really focusing on leadership and um, I wanted to be um, uh, board ready and, and being on board seats. So I've been working on that um, through a really cool um, group called Project Athena. Um, but when I was coming into this year, um, we were going through a transition in our team. I think that, you know, it's the only inevitable thing is change. And as we were growing so fast, I mean, the needs of the team, the talents of the team, and and just continuing to assess like what is it that we need continue to to grow we were we went through some pretty big organizational changes and i continue to learn about how to make sure that you are in those changes um make, helping your team go through the change curve and 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 you can't pull them along you have to meet them where they're at 
and help them process change. And everybody does it different. And oh boy, did we just go through a bunch of change. And so personally, I, I feel like I'm continuing to learn to as a leader. And my my goal is uh, there's this this um, concept called level five leadership. And and my co our co founder Rob Foreman, I believe, is a level five leader. And and so I continue to work with him. And and it, it's the analogy I give is if you're a skier. Like uh, instructors, like level one, they're going to teach the the babies how to fall down on skis, um, and and level two and level three, you start to get being able to to coach uh, more experienced skiers. And then when you get to level four, you can start teaching teachers in level five. So it's, it's this whole analogy of being able to manage, but then learning how to manage managers and coach managers at different levels. And and so I'm I'm fascinated with that, and and I love coaching. I love mode. Uh, mentoring. So that's a personal passion of mine that it's the journey that I believe I'm on or that I'm working on. And I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I love learning. Um, I don't know if that was, that was, you, you caught me on a great question with not a like <laughs> solid answer because I'm working on it. I'll know in two weeks. No, no, um, that's a, that yeah. was a solid yeah. answer. Yeah. I, and I like the, you know, to hear, it's great to hear how people think through these things um, at your level. So, and then on that, you know, what do you do to unwind? Like what, what helps you relax and, and feel recharged so that you're ready to bring, you know, your all to, to what you're doing at Sales Loft? Uh, I think that people need to um, figure out what that is. Like what, how do you recharge? And for some people it's taking time off. For some people it's being out in nature. Um, I, you know, I have two teenage kids and uh, um, you know, I, I enjoy pleasurable time with them. Like sometimes it's a challenge, but sometimes it's fantastic. Um, uh, my, my go-tos are, um, I am a, a soul cycle addict uh, and I just got the home bike. So I'm back in my happy place. Nice. Um, and, and so I've been riding a lot and that I can totally tell how that makes me feel or go for walks and hikes. And we're lucky in, in the Bay area to have some beautiful hikes. And I love being outside. I grew up on a farm and so gardening, planting, climbing up in trees, pruning, like I, I like being productive. Well, I'm, um, I can't sit still. So it gives me a lot of pleasure to, to be able to see the outcome of hard work. For sure. I, uh, one of the, one of the things I've really enjoyed about working from home is that I get to deadhead my roses while I'm on <laughs> a conference call. It's, it's a, it's a new pleasure. <laughs> it's so true. And what I love, the other part that I'm really happy about is cause I used to commute back and forth to Atlanta, which is where Salesoft is headquartered. And so I was home for a week and then back for a week and my plants kept on dying. Oh. And so I'm like, my tomatoes right now are looking pretty good. Very happy about that. <laughs> It is tomato season. Water every day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, last question before we wind it down. Um, I'm curious who some of, you know, you said you're really passionate about mentorship and, and being a mentor. I'm curious who some of your mentors uh, have been as you've moved through your career. Uh, my very first one was Michelle Dorshow. Uh, this is when I was working at Nestle right out of college. And uh, she put me under a wing and um, got me involved in, I, I was doing events. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to run an event company. I did the entrepreneur program at USC. And so I got involved in meeting professionals international and she introduced me to all these people. And so my first five years of an amazing event career were because of Michelle. And, uh, and it was so cool when I was, I don't know, four or five years in, I ended up going to my first tech company and got to hire her to help us with an incentive trip. So it comes full circle and that was fun. 
Um, the other folks that, um, you know, I, I've been fortunate to have a lot of fantastic coaches. Um, Don Rossmore is one of my coaches. And so I, I really advocate for people who are um, aspiring to be leaders to think about finding a coach that works for them. Like it's such an investment in you. And, and if you played sports or, you know, it's the difference for me of going to the gym and having a trainer, just going to the gym, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to learn new things they are going to push me. And so having a coach is, has been great. Now the, um, Bob Lewis is, is my coach. And then, you know, I think this network of women that's forming in leadership, the women, um, Women in Revenue, WIR, um, is a fantastic group of, of women that are helping to um, build this next generation of leaders. And, and so I'm a master mentor and I've been involved with them from the beginning. And it's just a fantastic group of people. So those would be some some shout outs of, of different thing, people that have helped me along the way. Amazing. Well, Sydney, yeah. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you so much for having me. 